Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, combustibles, an album that bumps eternally. And today we will be deep diving together into Nina Simone's 1969 album, To Love Somebody. I used to smile and say hello. Guess I was just a happy girl. Nina Simone's To Love Somebody turned 50 this year. It was released on the first day of 1969, the same day The Ohio State beat the University of Southern California at the Rose Bowl for the National College Football Championship. It was her 21st studio album. There were dozens more still to come. You know them, Black Gold, Baltimore, Fodder on My Wings, stacks of albums. By the time we met up with Nina again for these nine songs, she'd already talked about it on Mississippi Goddamn, Backlash Blues and Strange Fruit, and been about it with her activism, lived, spoken, suffered for. To Love Somebody is an oral representation of what breathing on a track means. She breathed on Pete Seeger's version of Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. She breathed on Bob Dylan's I Shall Be Released. This is Bob Dylan. I see my light come shining From the west down to the east This is Nina Simone. She linked up with Weldon Irvine on the Beatles to make Revolutions Part 1 and 2, making it a whole mood, a moment, a memory. If there's a theme here, it is change, seasons, the times, the world. And Nina Simone used nine songs to be the artists she asked others to be, to assume the duty of reflecting the times that she lived in. The High Priestess of Soul, as usual, stirred up the gifts, christened the lyrics, and ultimately made what was marketed as a jazz album, Gospel, the gospel according to Nina Simone. So I implore you to discover or rediscover this one, and maybe you'll be like me. I swooned, lingered on her every word, felt like I'd known her forever. The time went by too fast. She moved me. That's what it's like to love somebody. I used to think of many things. I used to watch the fall and rain and listen to the sweet birds sing. To Love Somebody was the album pick of our guest today, Luce Mendoza of Portland's Ilabamba. I was really taken by the group's own self-description of themselves as existing in, quote, the dimension of the Mexican-American imagination, somewhere cynical and optimistic at the same time, unquote. And I, I frankly, I feel like a lot of us are dwelling in that particular interstitial zone right now. Hmm. I suppose Ilabamba is navigating that existential space by keeping busy as they release their fifth full-length album, Mujeres, earlier this year, described by NPR as sun-dappled and psychedelic. And shout out to writers who use the term sun-dappled because that's just a good term. (laughs) And they just released a brand new seven-track EP entitled Entre Los Dos, partially inspired by Mendoza's time spent in Guadalajara. Trust me, I've been holding on to the same thing. How can I let it go? 
At this rate, they might have to release a maxi single to put out by the end of the year. Who knows? Luz Mendoza, welcome to Heat Rocks. Uh, thanks for having me. By sheer coincidence, you are the second person in this uh, summer and fall to bring us a Nina Simone album, and specifically a Nina Simone album from her late 60s and early 70s RCA era, which I think mm-hmm. I might have said during the Frosty McNeil uh, episode about It Is Finished. I think to a lot of the more classic jazz purists, this was not necessarily their favorite era of Nina Simone, but clearly this album and this moment appealed to you. Why? Because it didn't appeal to them. <laughs> you know, it's there's something very powerful in this album, and I, I was talking to you, outside of this room and I was mentioning that a lot of the music I grew up listening to was Mexican music, um, a lot of traditional music from guapangos, boleros, mariachi, uh, gruperos, just like all of that. And um, as I was developing friendships and, you know, intimate, like creative collaborations um, along my path, I I met some really beautiful people and this specific person um, who introduced me to this album, his name is Nick Delfs. And at that time in my life, I was already like 29, 30 years old, you know, and I just didn't have access to to like a lot of like Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. well, pretty much all these are the all these artists that wrote these songs that she covered. Um, I then I started to realize, oh, these are covers. I had no idea right. why it may. <laughs> it's so powerful. People just want to like walk by the most powerful thing and like shame it. Of course, that's why I laughed. I'm like, oh, these jazz purists, they're like, oh, it just wasn't I was like, you know, it just like really just says a lot right there, you know, to me. Yeah. Um, when I hear when I heard that album and I have goosebumps, even just I felt like I, I was like resting with her. I felt mm. like I could rest with her. I can mm. rest and hang on every single vibrato like note and it wasn't just the 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 things that i was hearing sonically there's something in her voice and i don't need i hate even saying there's something it is clear it is clear that that woman embodied a suffering that a lot of people were not ready for to listen to Mm -hmm. and of course pure jazz purists are going to walk right by it it kills me and nina simone she's the one who sold those songs to me Mm mm-hmm you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, Leonard Cohen wrote the first, you know, I'm just like, even though these people wrote, and I know that they're good versions of the, of the songs, but it was written for, for her to sing them to me. Sure. If your time to you is worth saving, then you'd better stop swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the time. I'm so interested in, I think, something that you're either going to raise or you've already raised is one thing that I that I think would help contextualize is who chose the songs. Yes. Because I think that would tell me more about more about Nina and what she was going through in each release. When we talked about the live album with Frosty. It was like some of these were recorded at different times, different years. So I was like, well, who chose those? Right. And I think... Um, For her to sing? For her yeah. to put on that album, right. was it her choice? Was it someone at the right. label bringing her those? Right. I mean, what's notable about this album in particular? There's three Bob Dylan tracks, which yeah. in 1969 makes sense to me. 
because it's Dylan in the late 60s, right? But there's three Bee Gees songs at a time in which the Bee Gees are not yet the Bee Gees of the late 70s, where they are megastars. This mm-hmm. is and actually di- and still, disco Bee Gees. Right. This yeah. is pretty early era Bee Gees. So how do they end up picking three Bee Gees songs? Right. In addition to Leonard Cohen. Right. In addition to a, I mean, what's clearly a Beatles answer cover slash riff, though the writing credit goes to Nina Simone and Weldon Ruffiner music director but this album in particular i just think is fascinating in terms of yeah how did the like who picked what you know that's what i want to know because it w- i think it would tell me it would make me understand where nina was because if she chose to make an album of covers but all mostly covers that are about revolution right then that tells me something about where where right. her mm-hmm. where her mi- mind was at the time and covers are written primarily by white men almost, almost exclusively for sure. right for sure <laughs> i know and i'm like and then a part of me i hope you know, is like, did they just choose those songs for right. her just so they can shine and use her voice? Because obviously they knew that it was the most powerful thing that outruled all of them. Just sure. in... and, th- and then she freaked it. Like they were like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then she then she freaked it. They were like, yeah, do our songs. And she was like, really? OK, that's just what I'm going to do. And then she made this and like it might have been slept on by the, by the people. And she but... wrote those songs. Yeah. You know, to me, I'm just like, she bought it. I was yeah. like, nah. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Just throw out an example out there. You know, I've heard many different versions of Turn, Turn, Turn. Yeah. uh, A song adapted by Pete Seeger and given some credit, even though I think it's, I don't think Seeger actually wrote the original. I could be wrong about that. But in any case, we associate this with being very much a 1960s folk era song. But then here's Nina's version. To everything. There is a season. And a time to every purpose. This is not the birds. It's not the birds. No shade on the birds. Birds did a great version of this too. Sure. But to your point, Morgan, I just want to know. Who chose this? Was this her choice? And certainly, regardless of who brought it to her, her decisions in terms of how to sing it, right? Those are her. De- those are her choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But, but to your point, it wouldn't be beyond the label to say this is what we're going to have you do on the next sure. album. Yeah. Sure. It, it wouldn't be beyond them. Right. But Especially I, seeing the history of what you know, what ha- yeah. went, what went on. But I just need to know who made the choice and what the birds didn't have is they didn't have Doris Willingham and Verdia Crawford. Uh, They made it a little bit more, she made it a little bit more soulful. And of course this is straight out of Ecclesiastes and we know that Nina Simone's, uh, her religious upbringing, her being the daughter of a minister. So she bought a whole bunch of elements that Pete Seeger didn't have in his backpack. I also want to say, just listening to this clip again now, I also hear a bit of, I feel like Afro-Caribbean influence. Mm-hmm. And, and this might've been just when she started visiting Barbados. We, we talked about this in the Frosty episode. By, by the mid 70s, she'd spent a lot of time in Barbados, but I wanna say probably around 69 is when she would have started going down there. And I feel like there's a little bit of that in the arrangement as well. I'm wondering for you, especially as a singer, but also as a songwriter, listening to this, whether it was the first time or, or revisiting it now, all these years later, what do you take from Nina Simone that might have some influence on your own craft? Vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, honesty, transparency, no fucking around. I mean, no no messing around. You can swear. It's all right. Um, just to the point, really talking about real issues, 
when I'm faced or when I'm in the presence of such a strong energy, if I'm listening to music or reading about her or just thinking of her, um, I really, I feel like familiar. Yeah. It's a, fam- a familiarity. It encourages me on my path. Right. And it's just this really raw honesty that it's like, I don't want, it's like beyond the word appreciating. I, I feel like that is what's what we fight for. Yeah. To fight for like people who really need to be heard, um, people who need to be taken seriously, people to like wake up. What to do? What to do now? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Soon you'll know. Soon you'll know. It will be through. It will be through. One, two, three. One, two, three. What do you see? What do you see now? I think you make a really great point too about one of the qualities of just listening to Nina is the rawness. And I think oftentimes when we talk about the rawness of a singer, we're talking about the lack of training in the voice. Yeah. That is not Nina Simone. If, I mean, in terms of her technical skills, I mean, there's just no question in terms of her, her craftsmanship. When we talk about the rawness of Nina, it is about that vulnerability. It's mm-hmm. about wearing those emotions on the sleeve, to use the phrase that you, that mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier. And in a lot of ways, it doesn't really, I'm not going to say that her song choice doesn't matter because it, it does, right? Mm-hmm. Words matter. Totally, totally. But what she brings to practically anything she sings, whether it's a Leonard Cohen song, whether it's I Want Some Sugar in My Bowl, which is basically about sex, whether it's I Love You, Porgy. Strange Fruit. Right. It is about that, the emotional qualities of the that kind of rawness is something mm-hmm. that I think really distinguishes her from a lot of other singers that she's oftentimes compared to because they have interesting voices, but not be, But that's more of a technical aesthetic quality as yeah. opposed to, I think, the emotional qualities. Sure. Of There's a lack of pretense. And if it doesn't show up for you on the albums, you can surely see it in some of the live stuff. And in prep for the chat, I was looking at just a lot of her live videos, especially To Love Somebody, mm-hmm. I mean, the title track, and I was like, she's... There it is. She's bearing her whole thing. That's your whole Nina. That's everything. There's there's no holds barred. It's the interaction with the audience. It's how she presents. It's how she shows up. There's just, there's a whole bunch of stuff mixed up. And I think what would have been great about that documentary, and I like the documentary, mm-hmm. was if they would have, if they were going to talk about some of the issues in context with the specific albums. Yes. And I don't think they did that because maybe that would have just been the you know, an effort of, of, of a scholar or an ethnomusicologist. And I don't think this was yeah. made by, by those. And I think it would have been nice to have seen, like, here's yeah. where she, w- if we just did, but you got 39 albums. How long is your documentary going to be <laughs> yeah. if you take? Well, she deserves it. People have, for sure. make people making documentaries, people that don't even be making documentaries. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. But if you have a, as, as many albums as she does, or for that matter, mm-hmm. as many albums as Prince does, you're going to get different. You're going to be different people at different times. Yeah. But to, to the point that I think both of you are making, the vulnerability and the rawness is something that is not hidden. There's no pretense. Right. Every mm-hmm. song she is, she's absolutely present with you and, mm-hmm. and makes you be present with, with her. Yeah. Mm. No, I just love that so much because when we're talking about it, I feel like it's here right now. Yep. I want to bring this back also to the time and place in which she's making this, right? So this is 1969, obviously an incredibly tumultuous time mm-hmm. in American, really world history, right? And she has a two-parter on here, which is revolution. And as I mentioned briefly earlier, the writing credit on here goes to herself and Weldon Irvine, but it's very clear that she is riffing on the Beatles version of, of Revolution. So let's hear what, what Nina does with this song. Your constitution, well, my friend, 
me that later but that's my favorite moment on the album well right there right there right as soon as the background vocals come in and soon as it becomes something different that is my favorite moment on the album so now what did i'm curious what did both of you think about this take on the beatles revolution all right confession's good for the soul as i always say (laughs) so I think Revolution was sampled by, was was, uh, placed in an Apple commercial. It was a big deal because the Beatles don't... Nike. Nike. The the Nike tennis commercial. Did this just happen? No, No, this was back in like the 90s, I think. Okay. And it was such a big deal because they don't... Beatles didn't, yeah, they didn't place. And it was super expensive. Yeah. And then it opened up dialogue about, Mm. not it being about that it was so expensive, but about how precious the Beatles are. And you just don't, you just don't, you know, you just don't do that. And so then it wasn't even about the song Revolution. It was just about any any Beatles right. song. So right. that's why this came up. Yeah. So in prepping for the chat, I thought, I don't know how difficult. I'm not a Beatles expert. But I prefer my revolution coming from Nina <laughs> than coming from the Beatles. I know some of the Beatles listeners are going to shoot me online. But it just has more... Uh, not if they they should know better. Yeah, it has more, it has more <laughs> authenticity com- coming from her and what she did for it. And for the time, I get it makes sense for 1969 for Nina. Yeah, I, I'm not really wedded to the Beatles, so it feels like to me this is Nina's thing. That might have been a Super Bowl ad too, which I think might have explained why they were willing to open the coffers to pay for it. Or I mean, we're going off a whole side tangent, sure. but that was like from a. American advertising history. I'm not Huge. even a music supervisor. I remember that being such a big deal. Huge. You know? And millions right. of dollars. But to just, I think, bring this back for a second. And look, the Beatles are great. I'm not going to besmirch the Beatles. Revolution to me was never like ever remotely one of my favorite Beatles songs. And I think to your point, Morgan, listening to the Beatles sing about revolution is never going to have anywhere near the same kind of weight as listening to the, the person who sang Mississippi Goddamn talking about revolution, right. the person who made you know four women, that's a different story. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and there's many levels of revolution that Nina Simone was taken under. Yeah, that they could never, that they could never carry that. They Mm-mm. couldn't. And that's why, I mean, again, I, was, I didn't listen, I didn't grow up listening to the Beatles. Um, but yeah, like to me, it's, it's, when I, that's why I was like, what? Like, it's to me, I'm like, I'm, it's not the word convincing, but like, I feel very like held and like taken back by the story of like how emotionally she, she's saying, she's that's saying it. those things. And like, it's like, to me, I'm like, yeah, duh. I'm like, white dudes, like revolution. Okay. Awesome. Brit- British white dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah like awesome. Cool. You know, but it's like, <laughs> not, it's to me, it's like, it's like, ah, it's so obvious. And <laughs> then know? in part two, at the end of the song, whatever this becomes, becomes something different. Mm-hmm. Not the Beatles. 
Um, well, actually, I, I don't was know. Actually, going to say kind of, though. kind of, but because I, the Beatles had their whole kind of psychedelic phase. They did, and, but that right. feels that feels like something else was going on in there, and I would love to see that part. Yeah. Of it. Like, and I and I'm there with you. Yeah, you know? so, something else went on, like. The song might have been over, and right. then they noticed Nina was still playing. And they were like, okay, well, listen, we're going to just go with her, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get all this out. But it just feels like something else was going on. I I wasn't there either, you know, during that time. But I do understand the power of more than one people coming together mm-hmm. and really creating change. And sound had a lot to do with it and what sure. was written and I know that a lot of like the st- what was going with music, like rock and roll and like all of that, obviously it's there. But also what was going on that was like way more present than all of that was just like a black woman, like really trying to like, you know, be set free. And like and whatever it is that you hear, you want to call it what was going on at the time. Oh, yeah, it's Beatles. Da, da, it, you know, but it's not. It's like it's that spirit. It's ancestral. It's an- to me. That's what I hear. It's ancestral um, uh, knowledge that's being like. Like when the way that she doesn't stop is different than when Paul or John Lennon or like Paul, like, you know, stop or they they're vibing together. You know, it's like, I mean, you can argue that or whatever. But to me, it's like so clear that they're jamming. She's purging. She's as different, you know, and the politics around about around black women being angry and about about them being able to allow their emotions to, to flow. And sometimes I wonder how much did that affect um, Nina being able to emote her freedom, and especially when things started to get a little bit loose for her later. Uh-huh. But right. Yeah. So, an- another whole conversation. We yeah. might have to have a, a side side. <laughs> I know. I'll whole, come back. Yeah. <laughs> come back. We'll we'll dig a little deeper into it. But um, that's why I'm wondering who picked yeah. those these songs. Right. Right. I can't believe I didn't think about that. You know, I feel like I'm like, yeah, awesome. Okay, they're not written by her. But I didn't think about like who chose, especially because how her career was written. Sure. Let's go to our break in a moment. But before we do that, I think I'd like to sneak in one more song in this half. Sure. And it's the way the album opens. Um, you know, I whenever I listen to this album, and we'll talk about this in the second half, I mean, my favorite song is the title track. But the way the, the album opens is with a Leonard Cohen song, which is Suzanne. And really listen to just the layers and the textures of what's going on within this particular arrangement of it. Suzanne takes you down to a place by the river You can hear the boats go by You can spend the night forever And you know that she's half crazy And that's why you want to be there and This is such a sleeper jam. She's, m- she's m- more restrained, but there's so much intricate texture to it. There's the acoustic guitar, which gives you that kind of singer, so, uh, singer-songwriter, acoustic folksy part of it. But then also Weldon's on the electric piano in there, which is a whole different timbre. Mm-hmm. This yeah, this song kind of blows my mind. And I, I mm-hmm. oftentimes have rushed past it because I'm, I'm getting to the songs I really, really like. But mm-hmm. Suzanne is such an so interesting pretty. flex. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Whenever I hear that song, I know I'm listening to the album again. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. it's, like, it's so good. Especially it's an A1 selection, right? Like For sure. The decision to open with this and what statement that might make or how it sets up our anticipation for what's to come. I sure. just think it's it's really fascinating. Choice. And you want to travel with her And you want to travel blind 
her perfect body with your mind. I I wish there was like more words to even describe all like my my body. This whole interview is like in goosebumps, mm. just like and teary eyed and and it's just. Those those words were written right by someone else, but the way her timbre and the way she curves her sound and her vocal yeah. cords and holds those sentences, those phrases, like come on, you and know? the vo- and the voice she chooses because sometimes Nina Simone goes real in here. This is light. Mm-hmm. And I love the lightness of it. I, mm-hmm. I, I love the romance of it. I love how it flows. And compared to the rest of this album, this is a hell of a start. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, I haven't heard Cohen's original, so that might be. Is it? Is it all that? Is it on point? I have no idea. Okay. Actually, Christian, can you find it for us real quick? Now Suzanne takes your hand and she leads you to the river. She is wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counters, and the sun pours down like honey. <laughs> that was a real response. So this is the Leonard Cohen original, and during, as it was playing, all of us were cracking up. And and again, this is absolutely no disrespect no to Leonard dis- Cohen. No, no it's, it's not. But you compare the two versions side by side, and it might as well be some night and day stuff because, yeah. Yeah. It's like this uh, is like when you find out Meryl Streep is playing with you in the same film, and your friends are just like, "No, nah, you ain't gonna, you know, you're not, you're not gonna get nominated. You're not gonna." Meryl's Meryl's in that Meryl's in the role with you. You'd be like, mm, "You're not gonna get nominated." So funny. We will be back with more of our conversation with Luz Mendoza on Nina Simone's "To Love Somebody" after a brief word from a couple of great Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast. Hi, I'm Janet Varney, and like many of you, brand new sentient robots excluded, I used to be a teenager. In fact, just about all of my friends were, too, including folks like comedian Danielle Radford. And of course, all of us, you you take on that theater accent, and our teacher would say, no, that isn't how people talk. Right. Don't do the super theater kid accent. It's the worst. But so when I was doing theater in high school, of course, I immediately was talking about being in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) So join me every week on the JV Club podcast, where I speak with my favorite women artists, innovators, and humans as we reminisce about the past and how it led us to becoming who we are. Find it every Thursday on Maximum Fun. We are back here on Heat Rocks talking about Nina Simone's 1969 album mm. To Love Somebody with our special guest from Ila Bamba, founder and lead singer, Luz Mendoza. We, we obviously are talking about this album that's full of covers. She's covered Dylan a couple times on here. I especially like her version of Just Like Tom Thumb's Blues. Um, this is a song about a singer in Juarez 
He's awash in despair, sickness, I guess debauchery. He ends up in Iowa. Bob Dylan's, to say the least, is a little different. Now if you see St. Annie, please tell her thanks a lot. Nina personalizes this, makes it a little bit uh, more sad, gives it a little bit more spirit. It's different. And my best friend, the doctor, won't even say what it is I've got. Sweet Melinda, the peasants call her. You said that's your favorite song on here. Mm-hmm. What do you like about it? Um, well, also like the softness behind it all. And also it's it's like a simple thing, but at the end of the song, she's like, that's it, foe. That's it. That's all, you know? And I'm like, what? It's so, it's like, it keeps me so actively like just with her. Like I'm present and... Um, as as we were listening to the songs, and I was like, "Is this like really like we can talk about people covering certain songs, the artists?" But like, I'm I don't think I can think right now. I think Nina Simone is like the artist in my mind and my heart that like can cover a song and totally she's owned it, sure. you know. And like the way that she says it, says the words in every single song. We can go on and on and talk about that forever. But it's, yeah, it's like the way I'm hanging on every single word. And people say that about Bob Dylan, too, because he's so prolific. Like, Mm -hmm. he's so visual. You know, he was, like, talking about all these things that even when I listen to Bob Dylan, it's like, you know, I'm I'm there. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm like, really? But but Nina, definitely the way that she holds it is, like, another body of intelligence. Mm -hmm. Because this this song is specifically about that singer's journey and that city. And when Nina sings it, it could be about anyone's journey mm-hmm. and, and any city. It's mm-hmm. about the emotions behind it to mm-hmm. me. Right. Or with Bob Dylan's, that, that's specifically on this dude and his journey to mm-hmm. self-awareness. And with Nina, she brings something to it that it doesn't have to be Mexico City to Iowa. Mm-hmm. It could be any city mm-hmm. or every city. It's just the, the emotions behind it. And mm-hmm. that's also one of my favorites on here. Yeah. Well, I started out on Burgundy soon hit the harder stuff Everybody said they'd stand behind me when the game got rough My fire track off of this album, and I mentioned this in the first half, is the title tr- song, which is the song that I've come back to off this album many, many times over the years, partly because it's a great song just to play out as a DJ. But it's also one of those things where I think if her cover of Tom's Thumb is being very gentle with Dylan's original, this is more in the camp of just straight up bodying, like whatever the original sounded like, is, she's just going to erase whatever oh, the memory yeah. we have of that. So we have to begin with the Bee Gees original. And this is, and again, Bee Gees, great songwriters. This is a great tune Shout from them. them. This is how them. the original sounded. So, so. 
Which is really nice. Yeah. And this is what Nina does with it. Doris and Verdia. The guitar. The guitar mm-hmm. does so much work. The bass work does. Ooh wee. It's it's not like the most dramatic remake, but it does enough small things where it just feels different. Well, right? The, back- the energies, the background mm-hmm. singers make a huge difference here. The soul. The, the soul, soul of it. Right. And yeah, I would love to know what the Bee Gees thought when they heard her version. I would hope that they were really flattered by it. You should be just flattered. Gotta if Nina touches your song, you should just be automatically flattered by sure. it. But mm-hmm. it is such, to me, a radical remake of it. And I just kind of love, this is a, a, a larger observation, but I love this moment, especially in the late 60s, where soul music's, its domin- dominance, its infectiousness was so undeniable that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're coming from the world of jazz, the coming from the world of country, the world of pop or rock, you kind of had to bow down and you had to allow soul to, to occupy it. And in a way where you saw similar things happen with the dominance of disco, mm-hmm. you know, in the mid late seventies, you saw the same thing with hip hop by the late eighties, early nineties. I think the main differences are soul was able to creep its way into other genres and still sound incredible in ways that we know there's a lot of bad disco out there and there's a lot of bad mm-hmm. hip hop crossover. Yeah. And maybe this is just me with rose tinted glasses here. I feel like the ways in which soul crossed over still created actually really compelling songs that you that no one's embarrassed by in the same way that you know, I oftentimes pick on uh, James Brown's disco era because it was not a great era for, for the Godfather. But somehow I'm glad I missed all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow in this moment in the late sixties, the way in which soul could infuse other uh, genres, other songs with that particular, whatever you want to call it, it just created such sublime examples. And I think this cover, Nina's cover of To Love Somebody is, is one amazing exemplary example of it's that. It's beautiful. I just want to briefly go on a kind of a, almost a, a bonus beat uh, level here. Sure. Which is that I didn't realize until I was listening to, I guess, the Spotify extended version of this album that Nina had recorded an Italian language version oh, yeah. of To Love Somebody, which I'd never heard before, and now I absolutely need to find on, on 45. I guess it's because she was in Italy in November of 1965 to do a concert uh, at Teatro uh, Sestina in Rome, and somehow the, the folks at RCA Italiana convinced her to record, uh, again, an Italian version of the Bee Gees song called uh, Così Ti Amo. Mm-hmm. She bodied that too. And oh, yeah. I have no idea if her Italian's any good. For all I know, it might be as good as Nat King Cole's Spanish, which not awesome. But <laughs> nonetheless, just the fact that she would even do it, I think is, sure. that's really cool. You know, she I just it. heard that today. I just heard it because I was like, I've been listening to the album yeah. and like going back and I'm like, is this in Portuguese or is this in? I didn't know. And then I saw, I'm like, this is great. And she still brings the same Body. emotion. Yeah, totally. Shout out to uh, Gino Paoli and Franco Boldrino who wrote that original. And they probably were like, well, damn. And <laughs> showed up and killed it. Um, further to that, 
another bonus beat is her cover of Glory of Love, which is also on that expanded version. Um, the, the version of Glory of Love I'm most familiar with is the one on Beaches because I love that movie and I love that soundtrack. And also Otis Redding um, did his own version. But both of those versions are very sad and very heavy. Yeah. And then Nina does it. It's it's missing the heaviness of the Velvetones version, obviously missing the heaviness of Otis Redding's, and it's missing that sort of uh, soundtracky right. version of Bette Midler's. And she makes it a happy song. Yeah, and I and this is what I'm saying about Nina being an arranger and her decision making. Um, she decided that that was going to be different. Yeah, and to actually celebrate the glory of love and not the sad side. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Nina and shout out to Glory of Love. Mm-hmm. We talked earlier about favorite moments and. Uh, Morgan, mm. you had mentioned what your favorite moment yes. was. Was revolution right. part, part one in the in the middle in the middle of yeah. the revolution. Ah, ah, yeah, with all the backup singers and yeah. That's it. My favorite moment is just the beginning of her cover of the the gospel classic "I Shall Be Released." Oh. I just want to live within those eight bars. Indeed. Wherever that's playing, please take me there. Just leave me there. Leave me a drink. Sure. I don't even drink, but just leave one in front of me. I will sit with that. Uh, yeah, I could just exist within the, those opening bars for sure. forever. Do you have a favorite moment off this Well, in that song, the, I shall be really, like that whole fucking, or excuse me. You can I'm like, yes, yeah, you can go yes. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like standing it's up. everything. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, on this album, because she did do every, she was just, you know, was herself the whole entire time. Like, there's so many pockets of, like, these little, like, the thing, like, that's all, folks, to, like, the, to how, I don't know. There's just so many, not even just with her, but just, like, the instrumentation in the background, too. Like, that guitar, that's so, I just, it's so good. Or the congas, the congas on that song is, is just so good. Is there a song off of here that if much like in the same way that you were introduced to this album from a friend, so someone who'd never heard Nina Simone before and certainly never heard this album, what is the song that you would ask, tell them to start with as a way of understanding like Nina, if, if one song could embody that mm. off of this album? Um, I would say Suzanne. I feel like whenever I make a, a like mixtape, because back at home, well, I mean... I've had my turntable set up and I would like make mixtapes and put on like either a La Lupe track or Nina Simone mm. and La Lupe. Oh my God. The same, same. Oui. That could be another. Yeah. Um, but it would be Suzanne because of, it's just a full bodied kind of like, um, I mean, you can put, I can pick so many, right? you know, but that one I feel like, dude, if once you listen to this, you're going to want to li- be listening to a lot more. 
as a singer and a songwriter yourself, is there a song off of this album that you would deign to cover? The times are changing are really good. Mm. Is really good. Um, And is that something where if you were to do your version of it, would you be paying homage to Nina's version? Would you be paying homage to the the Bob Dylan original? How do you think you would approach it? Oh, my God. That's a a meta question. I know. I'm putting you on the (laughs) spot. No, no, no. But it's true. But it's true. Um, I mean, if I was to pick a a song, it's because Nina told, like I said, you know, from the beginning, it's because she is the one who is inviting me to, like, where I feel an invitation for me to express myself in that way. You know, it's not Bob Dylan. I do not even right. think about Bob Dylan once. Yeah. Um, I do love, but but not to like um, contradict what I just said, but I do like that song that he did, his words and everything and how she does it. That would be like a really, a very intentional and like um, fun song to try to learn. You know, because well, I like the I like talking and seeing. I mean that like element of it, but also like what is being said. Sure. You know? Well, when Elabama does that maxi single at the end of the year, there you go. You can put All that right, in there. cool. That's the B side track. <laughs> That's the B side track. Right I there. wanted to say something though too. It's like it says just it says a lot. Of, now that I know that she's doing, I mean, talking hearing you guys talk about her, the albums that she put out, like a lot of covers. I mean, it just says a lot how much of a badass and how strong she mm-hmm. is to like just kind of like navigate through all these things that she was made to do you know so it kind of answers you know that ish a mystery of like who decided to you know who decided to to present these collection of songs to nina you know right etc you know and like the her ability to like just like go to narnia and and just Sure, sure. Yeah. You want me to do my way? Okay, Yeah. cool. It also makes me think the ways in which you had someone like Aretha by the time she is with Atlantic, which would be in this late 60s era. Mm. You know, you have some of the greatest songwriters in the world. Carol King, for example, writing songs specifically for Aretha. Sure. Stevie Wonder, right? Sure. And Nina certainly had songs that were written specifically for her. You know, uh, To Be Young, Gifted, and Black was a song that... That was her song. She wasn't covering. That was her song, even though Aretha bodied that in her own cover. And I do wonder in in some kind of alternative timeline, if there had been more people writing songs specifically because they wanted Nita to take them on. And maybe it doesn't really matter because a lot of our discussion is it doesn't matter who wrote what for who. Like Nina was going to do the Nina thing on it. She was, yeah. But still, you know, if someone like a Leonard Cohen or a Bob Dylan was writing songs, knowing this is actually going to be sent to Nina to do... I would have just loved to hear some of that as opposed sure. to like do Ooh Child by the Five, five Stair Steps right? yeah, or do yeah. whatever. Um, it just would have been, I, I would have loved just to have that that album you know, in hand as well. Sure. We asked this of all of our guests. If you had to describe this album in three words, what three words would you choose? Self-empowerment, growth, and honesty. Holy cow. Just off the Record dome. Time. Off the dome with that. Wow. All right then. Who looks so fine at first, but left looking just like a ghost? Well, that's it, folks. That's it. If you like this week's album, Nina Simone's To Love Somebody, we have some recommendations for other things that you might want to check out. I would recommend James Brown's 1970 big band album, Soul on Top, arranged Mm. by Oliver Nelson and recorded with Louis Belson's orchestra. And it's to me, it's almost like a reverse of Nina Simone's album, which is that it's a soul funk 
uh, giant going back to his jazz roots because that's where James Brown started back in the 50s. And I thought the arrangements that Oliver Nelson hooked up on here are great. Um, you don't necessarily think of James Brown as being a big band singer, and yet that's kind of what makes Soul on Top work. And when I especially listen to Nina Simone's To Love Somebody, I always think of what James Brown does with his version of the Torch song, September Song. Oh, it's a long time From May to December But the days go short Can't you kind of I would suggest, if you like this album, to go back not too far, but to last year, to Michelle and Dougie Ocello's Ventriloquism mm. album. Since we're talking about covers, that was a Grammy-nominated album of covers, and she does a flip on uh, on some of our modern soul hits, including um, one of my favorites, which is her cover of I'll Be Sure's Night and Day. And she also does uh, Foursome D's Tender Love. She does Janet Jackson's Funny How Time Flies. She does Lisa Lisa and the Cold Jam. Um, funny, Wonder If I Take You Home. Um, it is her bringing her specific brand of funk and soul and R&B and sexy onto these covers. One of my favorites. Okay, I can think of an artist, um, but I've also been recently introduced to this artist, and I... You know, when you find someone, you're just like, oh, my God, what's this? It's La Lupe, who we talked mm-hmm. about. Um, and she's also did a lot of, there's that Fever cover yeah, song what? she did. Yeah. But, I mean, that's like, that's another um, another part of why I, I love La Lupe. But, like, her songs, like, her, there's, like, these video performances where she's just, like, black and it's, like, black and white TV. And, like, there's, like, some sort of recorded music i don't think if there's a real band playing i don't know maybe sometimes there is and then she's just dancing taking off her rings and just throwing (laughs) everything out and it's it's i wish i could remember um the albums that i was picking some of the songs i was listening to but i'm but just i'm still i'm still she is one of the most interesting figures of the kind of you know 1960s and yeah. 70s Latin salsa movement. And, like with Tito Fuentes and Celia totally. Cruz oh, yeah. and like, oh my God, she's just like, dude, talk about like emotings. Oh my mm. God. Tener fiebre no es de ahora. Hace mucho tiempo que empezó you give me fever. Ay. When you kiss me fever, when you hold me tight. That's going to do it for this episode of Heat Rocks. We thank you so, so much for coming through and for choosing this album and for turning me on to something that I wasn't familiar in this woman's vast um, discography. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for, for bringing, us, bringing this to us. Tell us what's going on with you now and where can folks find you online? Well, you, <laughs> I'm so bad always talking about where folks can find me in general. Um, right now... Where where we're on tour that takes us to Texas, then we go to Spain, and it's first time in Europe, and we're releasing that EP that I wrote, Mm -hmm. um, inspired by Guadalajara. Just being there, I live there now. Still feels like like make believe, but I've definitely have like been there and like moved my stuff there, and and still going. And I just have been. My focus has just been to dig. 
deeper into um, like you know myself and like just um, yeah it's just it's been a very empowering year and it's been super vulnerable to like really talk about these things that are really important to me and like be a an influence and like I want to be part of the change sure. and so that whatever it is that I keep releasing or whatever it's just always going to be a reflection how I feel inside and these are some really you know very very difficult um, uncomfortable and very you know strong times so indeed and the group's website I, if I recall is just ilabama.com yeah okay I was unsure <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find you can find the, the group's history, discography <laughs> yeah. there. Thank you so much for coming through today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles, where you can turn, 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 including even on a red light. We'd also like to thank our social media family and fans, including the following. We want to thank Hadi Kadri for really supporting us on um, the Lee Fields episode about Sam Cooke. Do so appreciate that. We also want to thank Vicky Toback for always holding us down, always giving us a shout out. We want to thank Raf Doval Santos at Heaven Spawn. We want to thank Eric Beatner, Chase Gibson. We also want to thank Joey Clovis, um, Dan Diggity One. Okay, sh- sh- shout out to Dan Diggity One. We want to thank Larry Davis at Whoa. We want to thank Trillionaire at the Lion Pro, Trombone Alex. We also want to thank Dan Trez Ami. Eden Falano Fessy. We also want to thank Coyote. Okay, shout out to Coyote. We want to thank Jay Coop. Uh, we also want to thank Jason Woodbury for shouting us out. Uh, Briggy Smalls, Dean Norson, Emily Stevens, Jess Joy, Candyman. <laughs> we want to thank Radio Besots. Thank you so much. We want to thank This Isn't Just a Cult, Florian Echeverry, DJ Ryan Fresh. Mark Richardson, and as always, we want to thank Jay Theasy for retweeting uh, all of our episodes and, and showing us so much love. We do so appreciate the Tweezies and the Retweezies. And up next, a teaser for our next episode where we sit down with Garrett Kennedy to talk about the seminal Whitney Houston album, My Love Is Your Love. The thing about My Love Is Your Love, which is why it's my favorite, is because 1998 was just such a pivotal year for a woman in contemporary R&B. Yes. You think of the fact that Brandy came out with Never Say Never. Monica had The Boy Is Mine. Deborah Cox came out with One Wish. Kelly Price, who was on this album, had Soul of a Woman. Tamia dropped So Into You. Erica Badu, um, Baduism. And also you think of, you know, Lauren Hill and Miss Education and what that meant and how it tied together R&B and soul and hip hop in a way that Whitney was also trying to do. Sure. And she did in such a beautiful way. Um, I think this was the first time where I saw Whitney much different. I saw mm. her as edgy. I saw her as cool. I saw her as really, really chic. I mean, just I can think of the the rollout for this album, I remember getting one of the glossy magazines. It might have been Ebony and just seeing her in these bad Dolce and Gabbana outfits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just being like this, this woman is far more regal than I think I had ever imagined. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.